Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 6, please. 2 Samuel chapter number 6, and I appreciate the service tonight. Like the preacher said, a good crowd on Wednesday night, and a good uh, spirit in the meeting so far. Good singing, brother Harris Brothers, appreciate that. And uh, I also appreciate that every time I hear them sing, it's the same. Now, I don't necessarily mean the exact same songs, but I mean the same kind of singing, and I appreciate that, and it helps, and by the way, that's why we sing, it's to help, to get us to this point for preaching, and I appreciate that. I think it was John Bunyan said, all the flowers in God's garden bloom double, and isn't that true? God's so good to us, man, he blesses us, and then blesses us, and then blesses us, and I thought about that when I was sitting back there, I was just kind of looking around, and uh, I think the first one was with you all, probably, you all were young, you remember that? It was in Indiana, I think. And you were all still in school, and I was going to say you're all small, but you're young. <laughs> no, I can't help it. He got, he started picking on people, and Brother Simpson goes, he's acting like you. I was like, good night. What did I do? I'm just sitting here. But uh, it's been a long time, and then for us to get to do these things together, you know. God's so good to us. He doesn't just let us serve him. He'll let us serve him with friends and get together like this. And I thought about that. We ought, we ought to not take it for granted. Because there'll be a day when we're by ourselves somewhere sitting there and, and I mean just like I wish anybody would come to this thing and here we get to do this together this week, you know, and we ought to just enjoy that. And I appreciate you being here tonight and uh, Preacher, thank you for coming to the McCall. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming. That means a lot. I saw you when I came in. Thank you for being here. And if anybody else is visiting, if I'd have seen you, I'd have said, You're, I don't know where, where you at. Anybody else? To the live stream crowd. I was watching the live stream on my phone while they were singing just to see the commentary i never seen such mad old women in my life. And uh, bless God, that preacher don't have the volume turned on. I wish he'd get his live stream fixed. And I mean, this, this is bad, really. When you go back and look at it tonight, it's discouraging. It really is. And uh, I responded to one of them and said, check your volume. And she said, fixed. You know what I mean? But anyway, um, it, don't turn us off on the live. All right, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter number 6. I love the live stream people. I mean, uh, you know, because that's what will happen is all of them turn into technical wizards all of a sudden. Uh, they're, they're, and I'm not picking on the ones watching this one. I'm just saying in general out there, watch the, watch the view counts dropping as we're talking. But uh, they'll be sitting there. They'll be sitting there. And they're lucky to get their TV turned on. And then all of a sudden they want to tell you how to troubleshoot your, like, $100,000 sound system. And then, and then somebody who's working in the sound booth will say, Did you, is your volume on? They'll say, all right, it's working now. We're like, okay, there you go. Is your hearing aids working? All right, now I hear you. Yes. All right, Second Samuel chapter number six. Second, I'm trying. Second Samuel chapter number six, verse number eleven. The Bible said, "And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household." And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they had, that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. 2 Samuel 6, verse 14. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looking, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. 
And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of lettuce. Oh, no, don't say that at all, does it? I like it when you can meddle, but it's actually in the Bible. Uh, it's a piece of flesh. He gave him some steak. Amen. Beef is what's for dinner, right? And a flagon of wine is a cluster of grapes. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. And then David returned to bless his household. By the way, I like that. He worshipped in public, but he worshipped at home too. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maid servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. I wrote this down. A man who is intimate with God does not need to be intimidated by man. Amen. And I'm glad he didn't let pressure get to him. In verse number 23, the Bible said, Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child under the day of her death. We read this passage, the ark of God, which is God's power, God's presence, God's promise, has been vacant from the people of God for 70 years, three months. Been a long time. You can imagine the atmosphere, the joy, the setting, if you will, as they bring the ark of God back. Everybody joins in to the worship and the rejoicing and the joy that it means God is here with us. God is back. Wouldn't that be good if we just, man, God was here. God came back. I mean, God met with us. And everybody's shouting from the youngest to the oldest, all the men and the ladies too. And then there's David. And David's just, he's rejoicing with all of his might before the Lord. And everybody almost is in on it. Everybody's shouting, almost. Everybody is rejoicing, almost. Everybody's in it, almost. There's one person who's not in it. She's just around it. She's not involved. She's just analyzing those who are involved. She's not down there in that circle of worship. She's the critic who's looking low from her high vantage point on what's going on. And she despises what she sees. Man, how in the world does this happen? She is in that same place. She's seeing what's going on. The ark of God coming back is not just David's victory. That is her victory too. And yet the Bible said she despises David. Here's what I know. I've, I've seen God move in a church. And I've seen the church enjoy revival. But I've never seen everybody in it enjoy revival. I've seen God move, but I've not seen everybody get in on that move of God. I don't know about you, but if that was me, that would bother me. If God is helping other folks and I'm not getting any help. If God is speaking to other people and I'm not hearing a thing. If other folks are getting things right under conviction, whatever it is, and I can just go through the service and can't wait to get out. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. When what's happening around you is not happening within you. And you might be here, and I'm glad you're here, but you need to just think about it, and so do I. Wait a minute. 
is God even doing anything in my life right now? And if not, I think I'd hurry to get that right. Let's pray together. God, please help me preach this truth. I pray that you do a work in our heart tonight. I pray that we just be humble enough to be honest with you. And I pray that you'd have freedom and liberty to work. I pray I need your power. I need that. And I pray for that. Help us to rightly divide the word of God. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of the most tragic things in life is to be around a move of God and yet not be involved in that move of God. What I mean is to be a spectator and not a participator when God is doing big things for everyone else all around us. If that were the case in my life tonight, I would hope that that would bother me down to my bones. If I saw other people getting victory and I had no victory, other people uh, being convicted and I felt no conviction, other people getting stirred up and I had no stirring, I would hope that that would trouble me if God was working around me and wasn't doing something within me. It's amazing how much care we give to our physical body. By that I mean the first little hint of any kind of malfunction or illness in our physical body, we will run to a doctor, get a physical to find out what is wrong in the physical body. We will take off work. We will pay whatever the price. We'll just up our insurance. We'll sit in a waiting room. We'll go through all the motions if we think something is off in the physical body. But let me say, how much more ought it trouble a child of God when there is some malfunction, some kind of an illness, something not adding up in our spiritual life. We ought to be honest enough and humble enough, and I'll say hungry enough to get it right, to ask some questions when God is doing something for everybody else and isn't doing something for us. What I mean is, I'd be able to ask this. Why are others shouting and I have no shout? Why are others excited and I'm not excited? Why are other folks smiling and I can't smile? Why are other folks using an altar and I'm never on the altar? Why are some folks shedding tears and my eyes are dry? Why is it others are strengthening their friendships and I don't really have any kind of friendship? Why is my Bible reading dead? Why is my prayer life non-existent? Why do I feel empty and angry and bitter? Why is everybody else having revival? And in my heart is resentment and apathy and God seems to not be within a hundred miles of my heart. Why is what's going on around me not going on within me? Now here it is. In Christianity, we depend upon fellowship to strengthen us. But my fellowship, listen, does not go deep enough. My Christianity is not contingent upon fellowship to be on fire for God or to be stirred up or to get real with God or let God be real in my life. Just because, listen, if you're not stirred up, it doesn't mean I can't be stirred up. And if I'm not stirred up, it doesn't mean you can't be stirred up. So here's what I'm saying. You can be in an atmosphere where everybody's getting something and still not get something. 
You can be in a place where folks are loving God and it doesn't mean you love God. You can be around spiritual things and not really be spiritual. You can be in a place where God is moving and God not be moving on your life. God has placed us into this body called the church, but we did not lose our autonomy when we got birthed into the body. We are still members in particular. And that's how it is. You can have one pew and in that pew is one person on fire and one person cold as ice. Another pew and there's one who loves their church and one thinking about maybe finding a better church. There's one pew and in one pew is somebody rejoicing and then there's somebody else watching all those rejoicing and repulsed about what they see. You can have one church and there's one crowd in the midst of a jubilee and then everybody else is wondering what in the world is going on with them. Now if that's you tonight and if that's me, I would hope we'd be broken about it enough to get honest with God, allow God to be honest with us and say, God, why are they getting something? And I'm not. Why don't I hear your voice? Why don't I feel your touch? Why don't I have your power? Why don't I care about eternal things? I don't want to live with a sickness in my physical body. I don't want to operate with a broken bone. I don't want to have some sort of failing organ. If I think that's happening, I want to get it remedied as soon as possible. But God help his people to take inventory of the new man, our spiritual life, and to ask the question, is something off? Is something wrong? Is something not right? Then get it right tonight. I've watched God work in churches. And I've seen God move in the lives of Christians. And I've even been in the midst of God doing those things. But I can tell you this, every time it happens, it never happens to everybody. I know this because I've been in some move of God's, moves of God rather, and I've been in that church. And while it's going on, there is still a crowd in the midst of a great move of God that cannot wait to get to their keyboard and criticize everything they just saw in that same service. Everybody all right? I, I know it because I've been in the midst of it. I, I've been in it where folks are getting ripe and they're hugging each other's neck and they're enjoying going to church with one another. And while they're up here doing that, there's a little crowd back in the shadowy corner and all they're doing is saying, well, you know where she's at and what he's done and it won't last. And they analyze everything that's going on. There's a crowd over here on the mountain with God and a crowd over yonder who's murmuring about them being up on the mountain. And here's what the backslidden crowd does and I hope you're not in it tonight but here's what that cold crowd does they will take their gun and lower their crosshair on anybody who dares get on fire for God and let God work in their heart and they'll pull every skeleton out of their closet they'll get every cobweb out from under the carpet they'll make sure they show every blemish and scar in their life and say yeah but you know she has some marriage trouble and yeah yeah but I heard him cuss one time at the job and well they hadn't even been to church in two months unsure they're going to enjoy it or well you know it won't last hey listen Billy Sunday said neither does a a bath but it's good to take one every once in a while and I'm saying tonight if that is you and you've been watching others get their help and others shout their shout and others sing their song and others love their church and others walk with God and you're sitting up in your window high looking down it's about time to get honest with God and ask the question God why is it going on around me And it's not going on in me. Others are full and you're empty. Others are in love 
and you just feel kind of apathetic. Others are getting right with one another, and you're holding on to your grudge. Amen. Others are bearing fruit, and now you're barren. Uh, And today, listen, I'd be mighty concerned if God was moving all around me, and God wasn't doing anything within me. Let me get to this. In 2 Samuel 6, the ark is coming back to the people of God. Now you got to imagine, the ark is vital to the people of Israel. It's been fashioned after the instruction given to Moses in the mountain. It's more than just a box. It's a box made of shit and wood that's been plated with gold. The top is a solid top of gold forming a mercy seat. On that mercy seat are two cherubim with their wings stretched toward the center and their heads bowed and in between those wings would fall the Shekinah glory of God and the ark represented God's presence and God's power and God's promise to his people. Inside of that ark was Aaron's rod that budded a bowl of manna that God provided from the heavens in the wilderness and there was the law that God had given to his people. Everywhere the ark went, it was like God was with them as they marched and as they warred and as they worshipped, the ark was integral to what they were doing uh, for the glory of God and the ark has been gone. Can you imagine that? It's been a long time since they had the power of God. A long time since they had the presence of God. A long time since they felt the pulse of God and now can you imagine the ark is coming back that's a good day isn't it the ark had been taken by the Philistines and then left in the Judean hills for a number of years I said now it's been three months in the house of Obed-Edom but now it's about to come back to the camp of Israel could you imagine how we'd shout it out tonight if somebody announced hey listen I'm coming to church and I'm bringing God with me I'm coming back to church and I'm bringing his power and I'm bringing his presence and if that happened we'd shout her out we'd rejoice the Bible says that David loads up and they begin to make their trek back. They don't get but six steps and then they start to worship. I thought about that. They didn't take too long to worship. Some Christians never get around to it. Hey man, what are you waiting on to worship God? He said, man, we've gone far enough. God's been so good to us. God's been so real to us. I don't think we can take another step. How much further we got to go before we worship? I wonder about some Christians. What are you waiting on before you worship God anyhow? What else does God have to do? You've been saved by the grace of God. God, name written down in heaven, hammer, uh, heaven bound with a hammer down. Say, well, I'm just going to wait. You got more than enough to shout about right now. They go ahead and worship. Then they come back. As they march in, there's trumpets blasting. I mean, they're singing out. They're shouting and they're rejoicing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, David record, the Bible gives us the song that David recorded. It said, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen. His marvelous works among all nations. You can jump down. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen and praise the Lord. So the entirety of that crowd has joined in the move of God. God is back in town. His presence is here. His promise is here. His provision is here. God's power is here. And the rejoicing in what God is doing in their midst. I think about if those people had had burdens, they forgot about it right there. (laughs) If they had been discouraged, they got over that right then. If they had been cold toward God, now they're not cold toward God. And in the middle of all that is David. David begins to shout. 
David begins to sacrifice. The Bible said David begins to dance that one-legged circular motion before the Lord. And all over the place you looked, you just saw people worship him. But as we drop down to the text that we read, in verse number 16, we are introduced to David's wife, the daughter of Saul, this woman by the name of Michael. And the Bible says that though she is at, now listen to me, though she is at ground zero of rejoicing and in the eye of the storm of worship, she has a different outlook on the scenario altogether. In verse number 16, the Bible said that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And watch this. She despised him in her heart. Now let me say that is a major problem. I mean if you're sitting right by a fire and still freezing to death then you've got a major problem. Here's that woman. She's as close to the fire as you could ever hope to be and she still felt chill all throughout her life. She's looking down and casting her judgment. She has hatred for David in her heart. She sees him dancing. She hears him shouting. She watches him sacrifice and she can't even burp out an amen. She's just looking down on him, disgusted by the scene that she sees that man involved in. She despises him. She hates his worship. She looks down as he lifts up the Lord while David enjoys the goodness of God. She can't find anything to rejoice about. Now here's what bothers me. David's victory is her victory too. David's joy ought to be her joy too. David's blessing is her blessing too. But there's this bitterness that grows inside of her. Now let me just apply this simple thought tonight. God, I believe, wants to do something in your church. And I believe God is doing things in your church. But more than that, God wants to do something in you. And I tell you tonight, it ought to bother you to your bones if God is doing something all around you. And people in your pew are getting help. And people in your church are being stirred. And you're sitting there like a statue, stone cold and deader than a hammer. And God's not moving in your life. If that's the case, Hey, listen, we ought to run to an altar and say, if it be so, why am I thus? There's something bad wrong when God's people get fanatical at the football game and can cheer when they shoot a deer and can rejoice when they get some kind of raise at work, but they can't lift a hand for God. They can't smile about being saved. They can't shout over heaven, and then they get mad at all of us who do. I'm saying tonight, I'm not part of that crowd. I don't want to be part of that crowd. You can take your deadness and go home with it. I tell you God's been too good to not rejoice in him and lift him high and praise his name. I thank God for God tonight. I'm not, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not going where I ought to go. I'm glad he stepped in and turned my life around. And every once in a while I got to shout and I got to praise his name and I want to pray and I want to read my Bible and I want to serve him with my life because he's been so good. But you know it's right that we'll get in this thing and all of a sudden God will get on us and we'll say God's been good and we'll offer our sacrifice and we'll praise his name and then there's some backslidden backslidden Christian over there well you know it wear off after a while they don't really mean it they're doing it for attention hey just cause you're dead and backslidden and don't love God don't you cramp our style I'm just glad to be saved I'm glad to be a child of the king I'm glad I've got a mansion on streets of gold I'm glad I'm not going to hell I don't know why anybody want to go to church like a memorial service for a dead God. I don't serve a dead Jew in a borrowed tomb. I got a risen Savior who's real in my life and it's happening within me. And if it wasn't, I'd be worried about it. 
Well, they always shout. Yeah, why don't you ever shout? They always testify. Well, how come you never do? Well, they always use the altar. When's the last time you were on an altar? Hello? I already know in our church who's coming to the altar. It's the same ones every time, and they're good Christians. They're not just doing it for show. But I can also say I know the ones who are never going to come. People say, doesn't it bother you? They always use the altar. No. It bothers me when folks never do it. Come on now. Revival is not something that happens collectively. It will happen individually. But thank God the opportunity is an equal opportunity situation. Anybody who's saved can't have it. And if it's not happening within you, you ought to ask, why? I want to say this. I got more Bible for my excitement than you have for your coldness. (laughs) I got more Bible for being alive than you have for being dead. Oh, my, I wish I could preach better. I don't know what words to say. But you read the book of Psalms. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. God has been good. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I think some folks need to take fingers and let it out. Hey, I got more Bible for loving the Lord and lifting up his name than you have for sitting there like you were mad about being saved. I've been around some Christians act like they got sentenced to eternal life. Like they're being punished with living forever with God. Well, I'm still working out this life sentence of God taking care of me and putting all my food on the table and meeting every need I have. I mean, just pray for me. It's not real good. God's my father. Join air with Christ. Never gonna die. Never see hell. Never touch hell. Never taste hell. And I'm mad about going to heaven. I mean, they sing victory in Jesus like their mother-in-law lives in the downstairs apartment of their home. I mean, they just sing like, what a friend we have in Jesus. Like nobody even cares about them. They come in. Don't matter what the preacher preaches. They're not gonna smile. They're not gonna shout. In fact, they're not gonna do nothing but kind of scorn him with their eyes and just stare at him and I tell you something man that bothers me because you're missing out on how good God is I say taste and see that the Lord is good you give God a a try you give him a chance and you'll never be the same again I can't wait till God gets on some of these dead Christians and they can't help it those who are making fun of us for enjoying the things of God I had one of these preachers big name preacher you know if I named his name he called me and said y'all are too emotional you get too worked up you shout too much and y'all run too much and you work up the emotions. I can't wait till one day God gets on that man and he loses his doctorate degree for a minute and puts his college on hold and runs a lap around that 800 seat auditorium. I want to get that on the live stream and send him a text saying I'm glad that what's happening around you is now happening within you. Can I say something? I got more Bible I said for being alive than you have for being dead. I'll never understand a dead Christian. I'll never understand a Christian with no joy. I'll never understand a Christian who's mad about everything. I'll never understand a Christian that hates the church and analyzes the preacher and cuts down the choir and makes fun of the deacons and runs down the youth group and nitpicks at every other believer. Shame on you times a thousand. God's been too good for us to act so crude and rude and in a bad mood to each other. I tell you, God's too good for that. Well, let me give you a couple things. Number one, why, why, why was it not happening within her, but it was happening around her? I think, number one, because she'd never been in a battle. That's right. If you study out chapter 5, it's a chapter of battles and victories. Yeah. David knew what it was, oh my, to actually be on the battlefield for the Lord. Yeah. 
And you read the end of that text and God spoke to David and David said, hey David, when you hear the sound rustling through the top of that mulberry, he said, you're going to know that I'm about to give you the victory. You just trust God. Now listen, that wasn't new to David. He trusted him before. There's a little giant named Goliath. You know, that little giant named Goliath is sitting in front of a really big God one day and David trusted him in the battlefield of Elah and he watched him cut Goliath low and he said, I trusted him in the battle before. I can trust him in it again. And God gave David victory in the battle in chapter number five. I, oh, I just happened to think that whenever God came back to town, David said, I got a shout because I know what it is to serve him and be in the battle and war the war and fight the fight. And maybe Michael sitting up there thinking, what's all the buzz about? What's all the shouting about? Yeah, she wouldn't know because she'd never tried to serve God like that. She'd never dodged a bullet. She'd never had to dodge a sword. She'd never ridden in the chariot. She'd never stared down the enemy. She'd be sitting up there high in her castle all pampered like a princess while David's a soldier for the Lord. I tell you the most critical Christians I know that can't muster up a shout, can't give us a smile and they analyze the rest of us, it's the ones who aren't doing nothing anyway. They're not going soul winning. They're not working on a bus. They're not preaching out of prison. They're not so out in the street corner. They're not giving their tithe. They're not singing in the choir. I say come on in and join the rest of us. Then you won't analyze. You're participating not spectate when you start to serve God and God begins to use you and you know what it is for the devil to swing and then God to step in and knock him down. You know what it is to see a sinner saved and a prodigal restored. I don't care what you do or don't do. I ain't here to see you. I'm here to see him. I'm a soldier. I'm bound for glory. I'm a soldier trying to love my Lord. I'm a soldier who's been on the battlefield. When I come here, I don't come here to fight with you. I've been fighting hell all day. I come here to see God and to hear from God. I don't come here to cut down the church. I come here to lift up my Christ. I come here to enjoy His name. If you get in the battle, you wouldn't be so bitter. If you get in the battle, you wouldn't be so barren. If you get in the battle, you wouldn't have to sit up there in North Castle, look down on us in the battlefield and say, shame on that crowd. We'd all just join in this thing together. Soldiers for the Lord on the fire line for God. Rejoicing that He gave us the victory. There's not a lot of time to criticize when you're serving. There's not a lot of time to get bitter when you're busy for God. Hallelujah. If you have a problem with everything and everyone, you're not busy enough. I don't have time to pastor a thousand people. When I'm, when I'm engaged in the work of God, what I mean by that is I don't have time to invade your life and look at every little thing you are or are not doing. And then waste another 20 minutes telling everybody why I don't agree with it. I don't have time. I mean, between reading my Bible and trying to pray, and then, you know how it is, we all do different things, but preaching on that radio thing, and then preaching these meetings, and then traveling home, and then preaching at church, and then talking to preachers on that. I don't have, and soul winning, and then I went to the rescue mission last Thursday, I had a funeral last week, and then go to the hospital, and I don't have time to worry about whatever it is that you're worried about, but that's because I'm not sitting there watching Desperate Housewives of Rossville, I'm trying to get out there and serve God. Wouldn't that be a show? She hadn't been in the battle. Good night. Number two, we saw some of them at Waffle House last night. She hadn't been in the battle. Number two, watch this. She hadn't been broken. Look at verse number nine in our text, chapter six. 
That's what it says. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? You know why David shouted like he did? Because he knew what it was to be brought low. And have his dreams crushed. And to be put in his place. He rejoiced because he knew what it was to be broken. You know how embarrassing that would have been for him as a king? The death of us, I mean, that that new card, that whole idea is on David. Brother Allen said, you never worship God until you're willing to embarrass your flesh. I'll tell you why a lot of folks don't have it happen within them. They're too full of pride. To let God get on them and God to move in them. Because if God had his way, you might shout, not you, just go back to your phone. You might shout, you might shout out loud. I always, I when he was singing with that high-pitched voice, I said, how does that 12-year-old have that beard like that? God get on you. It'll embarrass you when it comes to the flesh. You know what she didn't like? She didn't like he's wearing that ephod. You know why? She didn't marry a servant. She married a king. Wait a minute. I'm not in this thing for a commoner. I mean, I want some pomp and circumstance. I mean, I want some prestige. And here you are acting like a servant. I tell you what's killing our Baptist churches. We think we're royal robe churches. We've always been ephod people. That's just what we are. This is not some uptown Charlie Brown. Rub your prayer bees. Get in a box and pray to some man in a long robe kind of a place. This isn't some stuffy old dead formal institution. This is the house of a bunch of old sinners that have been saved by grace. It's about time we shed our pride and throw our title to the wind and remember we are nothing without the Lord we've been brought out of the ditch pulled out of the mire we've been stuck in the family of God that's why some of us shout we know what it is to be broken we know what it is for God to get on us we know what it is to be chastised and corrected and convicted we know what it is to be saved and we know we don't deserve to be saved and when we think about all that I take this wells up within us and it springs out and we want to rejoice in the Lord some of you listen you gotta be broken I don't care what the preacher preaches on I ain't going to the altar because if I go to the altar everybody knows I got a problem we already know you have a problem and how do I know that because you already know I have problems isn't that the dumbest thing in the world that somebody wouldn't respond to God because they're worried about what other people are going to think we already think bad about you Isn't that, I mean, we already do. Because you post about whatever that thing is on your... We already know. That's how we got the sermon material. I mean, you know. And then they get mad and say, My God, that, that meeting just wasn't real good. Or the preacher just didn't bring it. Or, you know, I'm not getting fed. Or, you know, the church is kind of dying, isn't it? While it's in the midst of a boom. And it's because they refuse to get in on what everybody else is getting in on. Everybody wants to get on the blessing train, but the brokenness train comes through first. Come on now. Pride is the enemy of praise. Number one, she hadn't been in the battle. Number two, she hadn't been broken. Watch this. Number three, she had never blessed the Lord. 
In verse number 13 and 14, look what David's doing. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with that linen ephah. And the Bible talks about it down there in verse number 19 and 18, how he's blessing the people in the name of the Lord and offering offerings and so on and so on. David is in the midst of shouting. I tell you why some folks can't get in on it, because they've never given God a chance by just saying, Amen. I remember when I first got in Independent Baptist Church, I wasn't a shouter either. Of course, I was 21 and never been in one before and just got saved. And people shout, scare me half to death. Somebody say, amen. I thought somebody having an aneurysm. I mean, I never heard anybody shout in church. And I don't know how to explain it to you, but you already know what I'm talking about. I'd sit in there and had this happen without even being able to control it. Just sitting in there. And something happened, Something preacher would say something real good or the singing would get... Re- I just say, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> amen. You know, and, and over time, it grew to from, from from being a toddler to a young child. Amen. And after a while, it just went, Hey, you know, Hey, God's good, and it just kind of grew into that. Here's what I know: praise activates God in your life. Now, it doesn't make God more real. He's always real, but it makes God more real to you. When you just give it a chance, I mean, just say, amen. Try it with me on three. One, two, three. Amen. Good. Now all the men, too. All right, ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Hadn't God been good to all of us? Didn't that just help you right there just to say it? Now, some of y'all are going to be nervous because if the old women are still watching on the live stream, they saw you shout. And now we know that you can. And the volume works when we use this mic. So and now they heard you shout. So now the whole world knows you can praise the Lord. Amen. She'd never blessed the Lord. What about this one? She'd never been broken. She'd never been in the battle. She'd never blessed the Lord. Uh, What about this one? She'd never been good to the brethren. Look at this in verse number 19. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. Now while he's blessing people, she's sitting up in that high tower. I mean, he's giving gifts and serving and being good to folk, and she's just sitting up there watching it. She's never been good to anybody else. I tell you what, when you get self-centered... And all you care about is what people do for you and you don't go do something for anybody else. You will get cold. I tell you what would help all of us every once in a while is to do a hospital visit, go to a nursing home, visit a shut-in. Go talk to somebody who wishes they could come to church and they physically cannot make it any longer. And do something for somebody that can do nothing for you in return. And watch how God begins to stir in your heart. These folks come to church all worried about themselves. Well, he didn't even say good singing. Maybe it wasn't. Why do you make us lie all the time? Well, they didn't let me preach. No, you're not going to get to preach. Well, you know, they didn't shake my... I was preaching in church in West Virginia one time. The fellow left the church because the preacher didn't shake his hand after the service. He came back to tell him, that's why I'm leaving. Hallelujah that he left. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. You're like, anyway, you think about that. If you're like that here tonight, no wonder you're miserable. No wonder you're not happy. If you're just focused on yourself, 
you're going to be the most miserable Christian in the world because we are not wired now that we've been saved that way. That Holy Spirit that lives within us is all about other people and God. I mean, everything within us is, should be drawing us to be a servant and a blessing and a help to other people. I'm talking about she'd never been good. She'd never taught a Sunday school class. She'd never given to missions. She'd never, she'd never offered to vacuum the carpet. Hello, getting quiet in here now. Or clean the bathrooms. She'd never, she'd, she'd never called somebody and just said, hey, just had you on my heart. Let you know I'm praying for you. Amen. <laughs> she'd never baked a casserole and took it to somebody who needed a meal that day. Right. She'd never done anything like that. And because of it, she couldn't shout. Amen. Now, wait, let me close. I'm just, listen. Because, because of all of that, there are three things about Michael that are sad. Number one, she's by herself. She could have been in the crowd, but she isolated herself. You know, there's people who sit in a crowd of 200 and feel like they're by themselves. And listen, I know this church well enough to say it's not the church's fault if you feel that way. Because they fellowship and shake hands. Don't isolate yourself because you're a critical. You're a scorner. Analyzer. Half-cocked. Dead apathetic, just looking at everything and trying to find problems with it. Hey, listen, if God thought you'd be better at it, he would have hired you to do it. She's by herself. Watch this. And because she's by herself, she's bitter. She can't even, she's just, she's looking down like, can't stand David. Wait a minute, I thought you loved him. You saved his life before. You wanted to marry him before. I mean, he was the love of your life earlier. Now she hates him. She's bitter. And the worst part is the last verse, she's barren. The Bible says she had no child until the day of her death. You think about that. Because of that bad attitude toward worship and the blessings of God, God said, all right, no fruit for you. Now listen, that's a Wednesday night message that probably should have been preached on a Thursday. But you're here tonight and you're a member of this church and you'd be honest enough Listen, you coming to the altar does not indict you and make us think you're a bad person. But if you would just look at your life and say, you know what? God is not stirring in me the way I want him to. I I want to get that right. You ought to come tonight and just seek his face. And if you've been critical, I don't even know that. But if you've been critical, you ought to come repent of that. Because that's the devil. God is not in that. It's all right to ask questions from the right spirit, but it's not all right to be a critic. Come on now, a scorner. The Bible preaches against that. You ought to come get it right. If it's happening around you, not in you, it ought to bother you. Let's bow our heads tonight. If you need to come pray, come on pray. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation.